welcome to another episode of More Than Dice. I'm Gonzo. I'm John. I still identify as Kathy. <laughs> welcome to episode 239. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, what to do with trying to get new people into your game or people that are interested in it and how to introduce them to your group, whether it is role-playing or tabletop, although we, original thought was uh, tabletop miniature gaming. Um, but John brought it up that, uh, it's also a good topic for, um, you know, your RPG group because, uh, people are always trying to look for that. And so it's always a good thing to do. Um, before we do that, let's go and get down to the business. We want to thank Turbo Dork for sponsoring the show. They create some awesome, uh, metallic and color shifting metallic paints. Uh, go out and check them out. We want to thank Midnight Heroes for being so awesome. Also, they make great chibi miniatures and also some good 3D printed stuff. And they have a chibi miniature game, uh, which is actually very compact. It's only played on a 2x2 two two, um, and uh, quick and easy fun. Uh, it actually was a big hit at Warfare Weekend. Uh, we want to thank Muse on Minis. We are now back up on Muse. Muse has their system working again. Uh, they uh, had to do a bunch of shifting and changing of a lot of things. And so we are back back on the network um getting stuff done so yay for music yay um so everybody can get us on there uh then uh parabellum war games want to thank them for making conquest um and having some really awesome and there's one of our conquest the one of the conquest models jim's painting up um uh, so good fucking Jeez. velociraptor orc riding velociraptor looks so good yeah the green and the blue one it's just so fucking and that one looks great too i mean good luck yeah so uh, we want to thank them. Also, if you like any of the products we talk about, uh, make sure you check it out. We have discount codes for almost everybody um, that are on there. If not, let us know. I will put in a good word for you and uh, see what we can do for you. Um, also, we want to thank everybody that listens. Um, even though you know we try to do this every weekend, we get I get people that are like, dude, y'all weren't on this weekend. What happened? And I was like, well, you know, we usually say you know we're not gonna be on because of whatever reason but it's becoming a staple people are like i've missed listening to y'all i drive you know a truck every day and so i like to put y'all on the air so guys we appreciate it more than you know um it, it's it's kind of cool still hearing people going hey i listen to y'all and i'm like no you fucking don't and i'm like no i do john gets some good rants going you're you're an idiot and i'm like well it's just who we are <laughs> Oh, great. That's, that's what we're known for. Guns is an idiot and I rant. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's, it, we're pretty fun to listen to, and we don't we don't take ourselves seriously. We're not, you know, always out there for a buck type thing, which a lot of people like that we're not just trying to make money at this, which we don't, we don't. still. So, we don't. other than that. Um, so, what shout-outs do we have this week besides our awesome Patreons and awesome people that help us? Uh, well, so the one I don't know is a uh, young lady who was an actress on Supernatural past. She had a uh, leukemia, from what I understand. I don't remember her name. Sorry, I saw it come across. Uh, that's not my oeuvre. Um, but also uh, uh, Jason David Frank, who played the Green Ranger and many, many other roles in the Power Rangers, unfortunately committed suicide. And I want to take this time to tell all of you... Um, if you're feeling that way, reach out to somebody, anybody. There are lines to help you, free lines, people who don't judge you, just want to help you. If it gets that dark and grim, you can reach out to me at any time. I, swear, I, I really mean that. Just hit me up on anything. I will stop 
just about anything I'm doing aside from work because I can't to chat with you and try and help you through it if I can. Uh, Nikki Acox is over to pass. Thanks, Banyan. Um, like, I mean that. Like, you may not think about it, but I do. I don't want anyone to have to go through that, you know. From what I understand, he'd had some dark times and, and things apparently got grim enough that he decided to end his own life and no one should ever feel like they have to. Like, I can empathize. It gets dark sometimes in my, in my little life, but uh, I try to tough it out. I mean, this podcast and all my friends are part of the reason why I don't do anything stupid. But, you know, if, if you're feeling that way, just talk to somebody, anybody. Like, you might not think a complete stranger can help, but we can. Well, and, and, guys, it is coming up on the holidays months. We've got Thanksgiving right around the corner next week. Um, weather's going down. I mean, this is always – it's always a rough time for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach Dark out. longer. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out. Hang out. There's plenty of games that people can get into, plenty of things that we can do, um, even if it's just a quick chat. Um, my Sundays, I always look forward to Sundays because I get to hang out with people in here and hang out with y'all. Um, and I, it kind of forces me to put together models and do do hobby stuff, which I should know I should do more of, but, you know, life gets in the way. Um, yes. So always reach out. Don't Don't do that. Yeah. get yourself a support group if you don't have one yeah i am a fully functioning emotional support human if necessary <laughs> i do it for a lot of people i don't mind yeah but please take care of yourself absolutely and each other um what's our uh drink for the day john uh well i uh, was gonna make something special but i'm out of uh code red so we can't do another code fireball so we're doing dr pepper and fireball but i'm actually gonna start off with some uh I'll start off. I've already been starting off with some <laughs> Dr. McGillicuddy's apple liqueur, who I brought to Mel Marshall some time ago, and he will no longer make fun of it because he is the fan now. Gotcha. Uh, Jim, you look like you've got something already going. This is the Kraken rum and some cranberry ginger ale. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, if you weren't in the pre-ramble, I am definitely uh, on the water today. Um I had to take a, a flu shot and then tattoo and all this stuff and getting over con crud. So I'm like, I'm going to stick to water tonight uh, just because, you know, got to take care of myself type thing. So, uh, guys, we appreciate you. We love you. We want you to take care of yourself. Um, I want you to make sure that you're taking care of each other. Um, but please be safe out there. We will see you at the next convention when you can be there. And if not, we will see you again on Sunday. I want to say one of your favorite movies. We'll see you when you see we see you. Yeah. Cheers. 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 <sighs> oh. hmm. I say, can't beat can't beat that filtered water. Man, that shit is just on fire. <laughs> I think by definition it's not because it's water. <laughs> Let me just say as another spoiler here, if your water is on fire, I would advise against drinking it as you can see of water and beverages. Either that or you're fracking in your backyard. <laughs> I'd still suggest not drinking it. Yep, still not drinking it. Um, I'm going to go and get the screen uh, switched over so I can start working on some models. I'm going to be putting together some more AC stuff because I still haven't put together everything that I have. Since I have an entire new army. And Jim's so. going to continue to that model that was basically the preamble to my opinion of tabletop and continue to make it awesome. Yeah, and he's already like, 
ninety percent done to a Golden Demon yeah, Award with it. <laughs> uh, speed always impresses me. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. That's Jim. Okay. Luckily, I don't get like my ex-wife, which is like, I can't paint like that, so I'm not gonna try. Mm. Fucking what? No. Let's see. What do I want to put together? Uh, uh, do you have a big stompy robot? Yeah, but I don't want to put together that yet. Shame. Because there, there's this one has a lot of pieces to it. It's gonna have to take some time to put together. Oh, I don't want to put. Excuses to me. They're really, really cool stompy robots too. I'll show you a picture later. Oh, I can put this one together. This is just a cool solo. Kathy's drinking tap water. That's a bold move, Cotton. Ooh. All right, I'll work on that one. Um, glue. Do I have? Helpful. It? Helpful. Usually it is. Yep. Um, so I'm gonna put together uh, Faithion, the Whisperer of Death, living and wraith version type thing. It's a model when you kill that it, it turns into a wraith. a slightly pretentious name. Ah. Type thing. So we're gonna work on that model. Um, but so. Recently, I've been um, going to the game store, playing games at the game store, playing War Machine at the game store. One, because, you know, I want to support the game store. Two, you know, got to hang out with people. You're not going to get new people if you don't hang out with people. What? No, that, that sounds too much like communism, sir. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, you know, what should uh, people be doing? And I think I'm missing an arm. Uh, could be. I don't see, like, enough parts there. Yeah, they're supposed to be... I'm missing two arms. Well, this one has the arm... Both the arms connected on the sword. So, it looks like I'm missing... Oh, okay. It could be... So, I washed all of this stuff and put it in the... The, the sonic cleaner to make sure it was really cleaned. And so, this little... <laughs> arm could be in another box so i'll have to wait i will see. say that the the sonic cleaner is probably a step more than you actually need it was just easier to go dump the sonic cleaner walk and go do something and then just saying yeah type thing but that's okay if i'm missing a piece i just call them up and say hey i'm missing a piece and they. just important because some companies have gotten a little ooh, extra extra Mostly it's, uh, somebody, some company being extra. Yeah. Mostly it's just, uh, you know, uh, Asmo days have been extra. We're trying to get replacement parts. Oh yeah. I heard that they have a new process. I don't know if it's new, but it's, I mean, it's a couple years old, but it's still pain in the ass. I don't know. Denver did it. Yeah. It's like basically, no, you got to contact the store, which is a pain in the ass. Oh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Like I'm sure they were thinking that people were trying to get one over on them, but if you if your profits are so tight that you think people are trying to get one over on you to get parts, maybe you need to rethink what you're doing. So excuse for giving shitty customer service, but then again, I'm a customer service manager. Manager, I'm kind of. It's kind biased. of important to me. I have good customer service. Are you biased? A little bit. You know, I've been doing customer service for a very long time. Rumor has it I'm good at it. Somehow. Somehow. Somehow the guy who ran it all the time is actually good at being nice. I don't know. <laughs> that just sounds... I, don't know. I think people are just pandering to me. I don't know. Anyways, uh, topic. So the topic is... Um, 
introducing people to your gaming group, whether it's tabletop miniatures or whatever. Or, more importantly, tabletop board game, which is what Jim and I went on about in the pre-pre-ramble, which you actually can't access, so sorry. You have to be super, super special to get that access. It requires a monthly fee of $1 million. (laughs) No, it's just what's talking before we started, yeah. Um, So, yeah, like, literally there's three parts. There's, because they're all a little different. The tabletop miniature game, war game, is a little different than both the role-playing game and the uh, board game. In fact, the board game is probably the hardest like, it might not seem like it, but it's the hardest to get people to play and then keep coming back. And why is that, John? Uh, well, with a board game, um, they're not as... Board games, especially a lot of the older ones that like Jim and I were talking about, are not necessarily made for player balance all the way around. <laughs> He's talking about a game where, like, you get a certain sense. start, yeah, you, you, you just lose. Um, so with those games, you're going to, you basically all the games, you have to sell it, right? You have to manage expectations. Uh, and that's a good thing with a lot of things, uh, is manage their expectations of what they should expect to get from the game that they're going to be joining. Hey, Valandar the Red, how are you doing? Hey, um, how's it going? With, with a board game, you have to understand, they have to understand that you're probably not going to win your first several games. Like, I will tell you, it was probably three years before I felt like I was in and had a contention in a game of Advanced Civilization, which was the big one that they usually invited me to. I could go full story time, but let's just say the role-playing was not going well that day. The guys were being stupid. So I ejected, and they're like, John, we're playing Advanced Civilization. Could a game club in the local mall. So I was like, oh, sure, I'll play. And like, don't expect to win. I'm like, I don't expect to win. But it's good to know that with that kind of game. You know, the more skill intensive a game and the more knowledge required, you you know, you're going to have a lot bigger learning curve. Uh, and I could get all negative about the way the, the world is nowadays with, you know, all these second place awards and shit. But you have to understand in a, in a board game, you're going to get your ass whipped a lot. There's no participation thing. Just you you have to understand. You have to sell it to them. Like, look, it's going to be tough for a couple games, but hopefully you'll get it. And then if you enjoy it, you can keep playing it. Like, even though, like, remember, three years. I wasn't playing necessarily every week, but I was playing at least once a month. Well, also, you have to contend that, you know, playing a board game, you're not just playing against, like, you and one other person. Exactly. Like, like not... a miniature game. Mm-hmm. You're playing against... Possibly four to five people, and they're seven. all trying to. Yeah, I think with Advanced Civ with the expansion pack, you could have like seven people, eight people playing. Whew. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but you have to understand with those kind of games, you've got to glean something from. Them. You have to set your expectations right. I mean, I say that a lot, but you have to. Yeah, I learned a lot about bluffing and trading. A lot, a lot. Learned a lot about what Kenny Kenny Rogers told us: when to hold and when to fold them. You know, um, I, you know, you learn a lot from those guys. The first time someone, you know, in, in civilization, when you trade cards, you have to be truthful about, about, about at least one of them. I think it is. And so 
you know, you learn from people when they're being like, oh, shit, they were truthful about two of the cards, but it was not the one I cared about. <laughs> you know, at that point, sometimes it just ends up being, you know, you get you get your butt whooped. But you have to expect that, you know. I don't know what it is, because I fall prey to it sometimes. Certain games you come into, you expect to do okay. Like, I'm going to come into this game, and I'm going to be okay. I don't expect that. You should come into a game and expect to get your ass whooped. But you should also tell the people that you're playing with, this game is X, Y, Z. Yes. Don't, don't, yes. don't blindside them. Don't. If you are the, the lead guy on the game, if you are the guy getting the group together, you should manage their expectations. Okay, this game is, like, for example, I'll, I'll keep using Civilization because that's the big one that, that I know. Civilization and Civilization, they're like, John, this is not a war game. You are building a Civilization. Uh, spoiler, John was able to turn that into a war game, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, but that was not the point of it. The point was not to have your little men go kill their little men. You're supposed to build a civilization. But that's an important note, so I knew what to expect. Okay, I shouldn't expect to just throw my legions of dudes into other people and, and fight. We're trying to make our people, you know, our civilizations bigger, you know, and, and become civilized. Well, that happened with us with the Age of Renaissance game. Someone made the mistake of telling a new player, well, it's it's kind of like Risk. Well, he took that to mean you attack, attack, you build tons of armies and you attack and everything. Yep. Well, remember the, was it Munchkin and some of those other games that a one-hour <laughs> game turns into a 24-hour or 36-hour marathon? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he normally by the time the game will be winding down, it was gearing up again because he was buying 25 armies. Yep. And in this game, when you're in the late part of the game and you're doing that, it's like, what the hell is going on? But it's because someone said, ah, it's kind of like Risk. That was the last thing they ever should have said to this person as far as yep. telling them what the game was like. Yep. Your Big elevator mistake. pitch for the game has got to be on point. Uh, Kathy brings up a good uh, comment in the uh, chat about Zombicide co-op. You need to make people know in a Zombicide game, this is co-op. We are working together. You can be a little selfish. That's why I like games like, um, I haven't played it, but like the, was a Heart of Winter or something? It's like a oh, yeah. sort of co-op, but you have your own Agenda, goal. yeah. Heart Agenda, of Winter is yeah, really like good. Those. I like those because that way you, you balance them well. But like Zombicide, simple, fun. It's a co-op game. You should know it's co-op going into it. You should understand that. I'm not sure if Kathy remembers that there was the very first board game that I ever played with other people. It was supposed to be cooperative. But the other two people that I was playing with, they were so selfish that we never got past the first room because we all died. Because all they did was like book to the treasure instead of working it all together. Kathy can explain. I don't remember what the game was, but it was my first experience with board games. <laughs> it's like, what uh, the hell is this? Yep, and well, who are these morons? It was Descent. Okay. A couple a couple of years ago, uh, me and uh, Marshall. And Brendan, one of our other friends, uh, he was in town. We played uh, Blackstone Fortress. Year yep. it came out. And there was this thing where you can hit the other guy or you can relent. And neither of them would relent. So they just basically, one of them killed the other. I think it was Marshall killed Brendan. And we lost the game because they just wouldn't back down. And I understand that. You can understand that you're the people you're playing with at some point. But you should also sell the game right especially important with i think it's most important with role-playing and board games war games uh, tabletop miniature games you can sort of look at it and you can sort of get the idea they're all similar ideas though you still need to have the proper elevator pitch for them 
You know, you don't pitch a Marvel Crisis Protocol the same way you pitch a Flames of War or a War Machine. What? They're different games. They have different levels of balance, ranging from historical balance to no balance. I'll let you guys figure out which one I think is no balance. <laughs> um, but like Flames of War, we were talking about this earlier. You know, uh, Jim City played a game and his French had no chance in the scenario world. Because they're not just interested in balance. And you have to mention that the people when they're playing, when they're making an army and they're looking at a game like that, like, look, this is a historical game. So they're not just interested in balance army to army. It also has to be historically accurate, usually in broad strokes, maybe not minutely, depending on the game. Some historical games are very much all about the actual absolute minute details. And some are not. So you get some of that stuff. And some games are just, you know. Um, we, we, brought brought up, you, go ahead. we brought up Blood Bowl, and that's a game where <laughs> you can have and a completely incompetent experienced player destroy a chess master. Because if you don't know the ins and outs of Blood Bowl, you will die. I mean, you will yeah. be destroyed. And if you are that person, then Kathy can attest, she was witness to me. I, I lost to somebody because I was so obsessed with telling them every little bit of the minutia. I only had 11 guys, or I had 10 guys on the field instead of instead of 11 because I was so obsessed with, look, you need to know about this. This is the stuff they didn't tell me when I first got started. I am yep. telling you so you don't go through what I went through. That That is why I am not generally, for a lot of games, the first level of learning. I'm like the second or third level. Um. I also have that reputation of being the one like John's not going to let you win. So if you win against John, you fucking earned it. Um, but you have to know that you have to know who your players are in your game who can teach somebody or not. And uh, Valandar the Red, we are going to get to the RPG stuff. I'm just saving that for the end because it's a whole different beast than the other two. Because uh, you're less likely to just get pickup people in. Uh, but you have to know you have to have if you're having like a game, a tournament, you want the front table and. You can't always do this, but you're in front table. If you've got one, like let's say you've got a store where you've got a table that's more likely to be seen by, quote unquote, the public. You want that to be your best players. You know, I would literally um, less so at drop zone. We had that. But at certain stores, I would literally put people who are the quote unquote, the ones I want people to see playing up front because I want them to see that playing. I want, you know, for, you know. You, you want those guys to be the ambassadors, you know, the ones who are playing clean, playing clear, have armies that are, I don't necessarily painted, but at least show progress. I mean, because, well, I don't think you have to paint all your models. It definitely fucking helps. Oh, Valandar is apparently an advanced squad leader uh, fan. Welcome, sir. <laughs> oh, never play again? <laughs> Actually, I like this earlier, but my cousin John was big into it, and he hated playing me in it because uh, I roll dice better than him, and that's the only advantage I have. No, wait a minute. Uh, there's no such thing as you rolling better than somebody. That's like your bane is bad dice rolls. That's really not true. <laughs> my, for all of my banes ever, I mean, I occasionally get the bad lucks. When, when I get the bad lucks, I get... All the bad looks. <laughs> but more often than not, I have pretty solid dice rolls. But no. Um, but yeah, so you want to sell the game, right? You should, whoever is going to be the the ambassador, let's say, should be someone who understands the game and who can dial it down. We were lucky to have a guy, I'm going to name drop Matt Hennemeyer, 
who was a very clean player, very clear at what he was doing, and he knew how to dial his game down to the beginner level. Like, he would still defeat the beginner, but the beginner would learn stuff. He would like, oh, I see how this all works and everything. It was great to have someone like that who could be an ambassador to new players. You know, someone very skilled, always, you know, near the top tables in the game, but could also dial it down. Because a lot of those people, they get up that level, it's hard to dial it down, you know? Yeah. If you're taking the game seriously, sometimes it's hard. And you don't even necessarily see it. So if you are the player, don't necessarily go, oh, yeah, man, put me in line. I, I can teach the kid. Don't let the whoever you decided your lead is make that decision because he's got an outside view. And often they have a clearer view than you. You definitely need to sell the game correctly, like Blood Bowl. He's like, it's like football, but with orcs and goblins and stuff, which is basically true. But it's so but it's much more, more violent. No, I, I mean, so I will actually say is the closer you think of it to actual football, the better off you will do. I mean, to go on a little mini thing, like, I'm here to tell you, actual football tactics work in that game. Anyways, but you need to have that and you need to know the player who can teach somebody. You know, you don't put, like I said, necessarily your best player. Um, you don't necessarily put the guy who's intuitive but not communicative. It's really hard, honestly. Like knowing who your group is, you have to have an established group at a place so they can teach somebody. Um, I often end up having to teach people, which I'm, it's not my strength for, for games like that. Um, I found out in all my years of teaching at work too, just I'm very scattershot with information. Like I will throw information at somebody as it comes to my mind, stream of consciousness wise, like I speak. But you're willing to do that because it is better to bring someone in than to shut someone out. Yeah. And I tell somebody and I tell them that when I'm training them for work also, like, look, I'm going to say things that may not be pertinent at the moment. I just want to put a thing in your head. So when this situation comes up, you maybe stop and go, wait a minute, there was something about that. Can you tell me about this? And it's good to do that. Like, now the simpler games, you don't need it as much. Uh, I don't know if I cut out there or not. The simpler games, you don't need it as much. You need, uh, but you do need to have that basic overlay of the game. If it's possible, have someone watch the first game. Like, honestly, when I played my first game of Civilization, I had watched part of multiple games. So I had a basic idea how stuff worked. I didn't necessarily know the nitty gritty of it, but you see, like, okay, that's how that works. Seeing War Machine, you're like, okay, I see how this works. You do this, you do this. Um, and as a player, to help this, if someone's looking and they look interested, you should slow down a touch and explain maybe a touch more than you normally would to an experienced opponent what's going on so this person watching can see what's going on. I think the other thing we didn't really cover is there are just some armies that are really difficult to play just by the way they work. Yes. And there's other armies that are just kind of plug and play. I mean, it happens with Lord of the Rings a lot. Like, what is the easiest army to start with? The most forgiving army. And then sometimes that can really help a person's experience when they get in there with an army that's not, boy, oh boy, if it's a glass hammer, that's better for an experienced player. If it's something what where is... things just don't die easy and there's not a lot of complexity, give them that first. So are you saying like Uruk-hai are the easier army? I'm not really no, sure, I, honestly, with that game. It's been a while. 
uh, actually, usually something that's a little bit plainer, like, uh, say, a, a Gondor army, because Rohan, they have a lot of heroes which have a lot of abilities, so that's mm -hmm. maybe not their best first army. The Harad, uh, not too bad, but also, again, has some specialty things. So Gondor is kind of a, it's almost like the Imperial Guard. There's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Instead of, say, like a Dark Elder army or a Harlequin army. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, again, the I'm sure in Warcry, you know, I think Cypher Lords are probably one of those finesse armies. Yeah. It's really not for a beginner because one false move, three quarters of the guys are dead on turn one. And, that, and that's a good to know. That's an important thing for your ambassador to know because when you're selling the army, you want to let them know, you know, when something comes up, you need to switch into, I don't want to say sales mode, but kind of sales mode. Like, okay, I'm playing this army. This is our strengths. You know, you can even go further if you want to. I'm playing this army. This is their strengths. He's playing that army. This is how I view the differences between our games. You know, uh, you know, like he has this advantage over me. I have this advantage over him. Like that would be perfect world stuff. That's hard to do sometimes. Um, like at a tournament, I would not expect that because you're sort of basically telling the, the enemy what your what your thought process is. But like at just uh, just an event in general, just a fun event, that would be a great thing to tell somebody because then they could sort of like, oh, I see what he's talking about. Um, knowing the armies is great. That should actually be your, I think your salesperson, so to speak, and the display person who teaches someone a game should be different. The salesperson should be one with the most knowledge who can go like, oh, no, you want to play this army because it's, you want to play Kador because it's simpler. You know, it's brute force. It's blunt force trauma to the forehead. <laughs> sure you got some sneaky tricks but it's not like trying to leap lightning everywhere and bullshit like signar or, or brazen undead like fucking uh critics or all the fire all the time like man you, you want to you know sort of sell it properly you want someone who understands the armies and can and tell a new player what to play that being said new players are going to come in they're going to see something they're going to play that so you have to be ready to sell that and it's tough um, board games have the bonus of not generally having factions that you specifically choose every time. So they just got to come in and understand the game. They don't necessarily have to understand the factions to start because they'll get one at random and they'll figure it out. And for board games, you should have an idea of the intro games that your group likes that is better to introduce them to board games in general in case you have someone brand new. Like, the big one for me in learning that you might have different factions, might have different things to go, that is uh, Cosmic Encounter, if you guys have ever played that. Oh, yeah. That is a good one to teach you. You'll have a different faction every time, a different different race, and you'll have different win conditions. It's a great learner game for that kind of things. And you should have that stuff. You mean I shouldn't just jump someone into Twilight Imperium right off the bat? No. No, you should not. <laughs> uh Valor the Red says there are armies that look simple first, but actually are tricky to play. Third edition Warhammer Fantasy about orcs that way. You think just charge with large numbers and get wiped out that way? Absolutely. There are a bunch of things, and that's why you want your best expert to sell stuff. Like, oh, you want to play orcs? It's going to be this and this and this to win a game. You know, it's not you. You know, you want to make understand if it's going to be large number of models, moderate number of models, small number of models. You know what the play style is in general. Um, sometimes the store employees know that. Sometimes they just don't. The good store employees always get one of the veterans to come by and talk to somebody about stuff. 
what I love about having a good local store that know people. They're like, nah, I don't know this, but let me grab John who's standing over there. He'll help out real quick and he'll tell you what army's what and can help you choose. And I'm happy, you know, hopefully if you're not in a hurry, you're happy to help. Understandable if you're not. I mean, it's a little expect a little bit of expectation on you, but usually if I'm there doing it, I have enough time that I'm like, oh, absolutely, I'll help real quick. I mean, I've run warmer. I've run uh, War Machine uh, demos without all the proper equipment, which is tough. But sometimes it's what happens, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, so the, the the I think as far as basic difficulty, I think the war games is easier to get people into the the board games than the actual tabletop miniature games, and multiple reasons, obviously. But just from a standpoint of you just show up and play. Someone's got the game. You don't need to bring your own game. It's all good. You know, uh, obviously, you know, Gonzo or myself or a lot of veterans can bring an army for someone else to play. Um, I guess and and, if you're introducing new people into the group, you also have to somehow be able to assess their sensibilities coming in. If that's a, a new person. Well, I've seen people. I will just say Blood Bowl was the example. They play every team like they're playing dwarves. They could be playing wood elves, dwarves, <laughs> or it doesn't matter. Everything is the same because they only know one style. And it, it's a little bit hard to just like look at the person and assess, you know, can they adjust what they do given what they, they have, or are they just going to play the same thing every time? Absolutely. Yeah. And, that's the hardest thing about a group because, I mean, we don't all just play at stores anymore. I mean, a lot of us will play at stores sometimes and play at people's houses. And you have to be careful because you're inviting someone to someone's house or trying to get someone invited to someone's house. You have to know that person more. And that requires a feeling out. And more so with what Valandar was going about earlier, which is role-playing. And honestly, role-playing is the hardest. I'm not even sure anymore necessarily how you would attract role players. There's so much online games. Um, we have pretty insular groups. We don't go out to the stores anymore, but I think I would like to, if I ever get the time again, go to a store on the role playing night, run something and try and maybe get some fresh blood. That sounds terrible. <laughs> some new people. Um, in there, because uh, like he says, um, you need to get to know them a little bit. You know, if your group is a bunch of hardcore role players, bringing the murder hobo in is not going to help. No. You know, if you're you're playing, like my group is luckily pretty much will will go with the flow mostly, but you don't want to bring those in. There need to look up personality conflicts. I mean, I had one of my older friends, Troy, was in my games, and as you guys may know, if you listen to our old game things, we kicked him out because he was not working out. It's unfortunate. It happens. But you have to be ready for it. And if you're the, the GM or the the lead guy, I hate to use the term alpha because that's not really fair, but if you're you're the lead guy or if it's your house, you have to be ready to go like, yeah, that guy's not invited anymore. I mean, it's harsh, but you got to be ready. Um, I feel like store role playing is the best to get an idea for somebody or if you can do some online role playing with people in the area to get a feel for them first, that would be great. But a role playing, you really have to, um, you got to really, really know what game you're trying to play, so everyone could be on the same level. You know, I'm lucky that you know we had a game. We, we were talking about our game, our new game, which um, we don't have a real name for yet. Um, but 
we know we want to do sci-fi. We discussed all of it. So we sort of built the game from the ground up. But you can't always do that. Sometimes you have to go, okay, we're playing this, and this is what we want to play. And the dream is to have enough players when you guys are getting a group that you can just go like, oh, somebody's like, oh, that's what I want to play. Somebody's like, ah, that's not what I want to play. And they're not just going to play because it's the only game in town. So you have to definitely have your, I mean, again, your elevator pitch. You should always have an elevator pitch for any game you're trying to, quote, unquote, sell. Because they have to know what the game's about, what they should expect, so they can know if it's for me or not. Uh, Valandre says, we're kind of lucky. One of our players lives in what's mall on the first floor and apartments on the you know, second 15th floor, so we can stay for an hour and hours in the mall area. I think it's some good game time. That's awesome, yes. That helps a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm curious because I'd like to get more role players. I only have three people in my group right now. Four to five would be perfect. And I'm not sure how to look for more players. Um, Creekins is not really interested because she's a hobbit now. Lives in her own home. Has like she's role playing online like three different games. So an in person game is not something she necessarily has time for either. But you definitely have to make sure you sell it right. You have to get a feel for the person because you know when we're inviting people over to the house. You know you got to have have to know what kind of person that is. And this is where the John rant might come in because. We talk a lot, and I've recorded our session zero. And there are people online, the old grognards, I'm going to call them. And I don't mean this to all you old grognards out there. A lot of you guys are super cool and understand where I'm coming from. But you'll understand what I mean when I mean the old grognards, who are against the session zero. You come in and play my game, you play my rules, I don't care what you think. Like, that's not how we play games anymore, son. You need to make sure people are comfortable with the material you're bringing. If you're a bunch of guys and you're going to play some, I mean, I'm going to use a fucking horrible extreme example. If you're going to play a hentai role-playing game, you want people to know you're playing a hentai role-playing game. Yes. <laughs> if you're playing Orozco Doji, Legend of the Overfiend, people need to fucking know that. Oh the last God. person people know is to come in and suddenly you're doing a Rotsuka Doji and they're like, what the fuck is going on? That is not okay. And that is not a, well, you're at my table, my rules. That is bullshit. People need to know that. No, Banyan, that's not an option. Get that shit out of your head. I'm using an extreme example because it, it sort of proves my point pretty quickly. You know, that's not their cup of team. Or, or, or completely opposite end, or mostly opposite end, there were some guys locally who wanted to do, there's some Japanese made role-playing game they were going to run. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm not in, but cool. You know, you need to know what they're playing so you can decide, am I going to play? Because not every game is for every person. Again, if you're going to hardcore role-play, if you're like, if you want your character to get in relationships and good and bad things to happen and all that, you need a certain style of game. If you want to... Haha, ha, Gatling Cannon go Bert, you, you need a different style of game. And you have to sell your game properly because uh, just saying D&D anymore isn't enough. Like, it's 100% now. Like, honestly, in most cases, all you telling me the game system is is like, okay, those are the rules you're using. What's the game? To a point, I don't fucking care what your rule system are. I'll make it work or not. It's what's the game about? You know, my one of the people at work uh, tells me about her Strahd game she's playing. And I'm like, oh, that's cool and all. That's 
really a different thing than everything. Um, but you have to be able to sell that and you have to know. Um, and if you're bringing someone in later, you have to explain the game you're playing. Uh, and sometimes that's just feeding them the proper pop culture references. Like if I describe my game now, it's sort of like Infinity plus Bubblegum Crisis plus fucking Cowboy Bebop. That's sort of where we're at, kind of. But is that, I mean, you, you, it's hard sometimes, especially if you're making a game to distill it down to an elevator pitch. Well, and you also need to tell, like, what the feel of the game is. Okay, I've got that, but is this a, you know, a gritty version, or is this a... That was an important question when I did. I'm like, what level of grit do you want? Because there's levels. You need to know that. Because some people don't want that hardcore, dark level of grit. They don't don't want... Are we playing Batman vs. Superman, or are we playing The Avengers? Those are two, like, they're both superheroes, but they're pretty different in overall feel. Correct. And you need to know that, and you have to, also, to let people know that. Are you going to play that? And actually, I like some of the, my form, one of my more formative, my most formative role-playing game is Champions. And in the, the Big Blue Book, which is their fourth edition, which was the one for the longest time, there's a sheet in the back uh, that helps you make a campaign. Where literally you talk to people like, okay, grittiness level, episodic versus continuity, all that stuff, and you fill it out. And that's a great idea. You should know that. Because some people don't some people want episodic. Some people want like classic Star Trek. Like I don't want to really care what happened. I don't want to have to keep track of what happened episode before. Like, yeah, it happened, it's cool. I don't want to have to be like, oh, is there some clue he dropped? And some people want that. They want to put the pieces together like, aha, I figured out what you're talking about. I know where we're going. And you have to know that as a GM and discuss with your players if that's what they want. And that's sort of what I rant about is you have to discuss with your players what they want. Like you may have an idea to a point of a game, but their input's important. Like, I don't know. Maybe that was how it was in the pre-John days, you just said, this is the way it is. I don't care what your players want. But that seems like bullshit to me. Like, It's really important whenever you get, especially, like I said, someone new, and you're like, hey, guys, you know, when you bring this person in, before you bring this person in, you gotta say, hey, our group, we're doing a murder hobo style game. So they know. Yeah. We kill stuff and take their. We kill stuff and take their stuff, and then go find more stuff to kill and take stuff. Correct, and and that should be always you know number one thing about this more than anything because I mean they may not be into murder hobo. Yeah, like oh that's not really my thing. Okay, cool man, appreciate it. No problem. Cool beans. See you later. Center voice says I hate when I figure out everything the DM is thinking and I have to play without knowing, but that's good role playing, sir. And yeah. sometimes. If you're doing any character, who cares? Every game, every single game, and I mean this, maybe not so much board games, a little less with miniature games. Every game is cooperative to an extent because the point is having fun. If you know what the point is, having fun, you can play that way. For example, in a board game, there's a way to play where you're still going to win, 
but you don't necessarily fuck someone out of the game. Or maybe you have to. It happens. Miniature games, if you're not in the tournament, you can play in a way that's more fun. You know, it all depends on your end goal for that. And role-playing games, most importantly, you can go to the GM and go, hey, I figured out this stuff. How do we make it so my character figured it out so I can start acting on it? That is fucking useful to me. Mm. Like, oh, you figured out what's going on? Sometimes I'll say, go with it. Maybe your character had insight. It's not all about those stats on the paper. Like, those are important for conflict resolution, but sometimes, unless it's completely out of character, if you figure something out, fucking go with it, man. I am happy. It means you're paying attention. Lord knows some of my players ain't paying attention. I mean, uh... Ooh, hashtag shots fired. <laughs> I just said to. He's the only one yeah. I know that's on listening. <laughs> He's the only one listening. Um, but yeah, so you mean... That's important stuff, and it should be collaborative. Like, all these games are collaborative. You know, even the board game to the miniature game, they're less collaborative, but they're still, to a point, collaborative. You know, Jim told a story about being in a tournament and him playing differently because he knew he could just win the game and then letting the opponent win. That's, like I told him, you face each other as God intended, sportsmanlike. You lost the game, but both of you had more fun as a result, I'm certain. Well, he, he just, he hung his head. He knew before we even started playing that he thought he was in for two and a half hours of just pointless misery, where I just run off the table on the first turn, and then he just does After nothing we, for the next yeah. literally two hours until the timer runs out. Or it could be even meaner and leave just enough guys on the table to make sure he gets nothing across. So I, I could have very easily just done a max victory point thing without even thinking about it. But I mean, like in a tournament, I would not fault somebody for that. But Correct. the fact that you didn't just do that speaks volumes to your character. And yes, you warned them beforehand they shouldn't have done this. But even then, you still gave the guy a chance. Again, that speaks volumes to your character. And that is what it's about. Like in a standard game, not tournament, you would have done that every time. You know, you would have engaged. You want to have fun. But then again, also, you guys might have just re-rolled the scenario. But that's an important note. You know, you have to remember that, again, tournaments are out because tournaments are a completely different deal. People go in, you take, you pay your money, you take your chances, unfortunately. Correct. Um, but in just a pickup game, it's about all of you having fun. Both of you having fun. There's two parts to this. Because if he doesn't have fun, he's not going to come back and play. They're not all Banyan going to let me roll them every time and, and play. That's not really true. Banyan doesn't just let me roll them. <laughs> um, you know, you but you have to be ready for that. And it's harder. I think it's actually harder in non-role-playing games, though I think it's more anti-intuitive in the role-playing games that I don't fucking understand. I'm going to blame the, the, the quote-unquote old grognards for that. Because they're all about that whole, it's my game, we play my way, whatever. And like, no, fuck you. Must be nice to have enough players to be like that, but I'm not like that at all. Uh, let's see, Valentin says, a long time, he's a long-time veteran. Two of our players have about four or five years experience. The other two are very new. When I play instead of run, I have to force myself not to lead the party. I feel like I was trying to take over the game. I empathize with you, not that I get to play. Um, well, we have a game. We have a small number of people who... There are people you know are going to take over the game. 
and I saw it the last time L. Marshall got to play in one of my games, the last two times, he tried very hard to not lead the party. Because he's that kind of guy. It'll happen a lot, and he's done it a lot, and I understand. Uh, it happens a lot to me. Sometimes I'll actually lean into it. I'll build a character made for leading the party. Like when we did a little bit of shadow around Bane Amos running, I played the face, basically. Um, uh, not Brushhead Dave is the most, probably the most veteran. I mean, he and Bane are pretty equal, but he tends to lead the party because that's his lot in life. He's made to suffer. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. You have to try that sometimes. So we played a big game of Through the Breach a couple years ago. Uh, El Marshall was running it. I actually literally, we had enough players, it was okay, but I literally pulled back from being a force at the table all the time to let other people have their, their time in the sun. You know, let, let people lead more, which is cool. You have to do that. It's hard, though, man. That's like a whole other just role-playing discussion, how to do that. How, to, how but, not to be a GM and take over everything? Well, not even that. Like, we knew, not Brushhead Dave and I knew he was not using the rules, right? We are just like, eh, fuck it, not worth it. He's having fun, we're having fun, fuck it, right? Rules are just there to conflict resolve. I don't care how they fucking go, just... Don't surprise me or fucking with him. I don't care. Um, but yeah, so getting new players into role-playing is hard. And I don't envy people. In, online so much easier. I'm, I mean, I don't play a lot, but I know it is because you don't have that same problem of being in the same room. You can mute your mic for a second and curse your brains out, and it's okay. Um but in person, you can't do that necessarily. Maybe you got to take a bathroom break. Maybe you got to do something whatever. That doesn't look like it's working well, Gonzo. Yeah. No, this. I'm going to have to shave yeah. it and do everything to get that. Just because it's or such get, a weird angle. Do you not have solid bases so you can pin them? Hashtag pinning for the win? Yeah. Uh, Gonzo doesn't pin any shit. No, fuck that. You should pin. Jesus, get a dremel. Anyways, yeah. So, uh, they're. Uh, Warcaster models. War Machine 40k, if you prefer. That's but yeah, so it's it's tough. I mean, I think my main goals are try to get an idea for the player. You know, especially if it's role-playing, you need to get an idea to make sure they're going to fit personality-wise. That's, that's a big kicker, too. Yeah, it's tough. It's the toughest, because you know, as people get more comfortable, they let more of themselves out. And sometimes that more of themselves doesn't doesn't jive. But I like to give everyone a chance. Um, also, you know, elevator pitch. Make sure you've got an elevator pitch for the game. Any game that you are going to describe, have an elevator pitch. You know, try and distill it down to both world and game. And game. So, for example, for Malifaux, I would call it very scenario-driven. Uh, very shenanigan heavy and then I would call it uh, I usually call it Gangs of New York uh, meets Steampunk and Cthulhu which pretty accurate so that way you know, now you can have they can have an idea okay I know what the feel of the game is I know what the lore is like and I know sort of an idea of how it plays um and that's important because 
as someone gets and that's only gonna be those are only gonna be helpful more for um like people who are veterans like someone brand new to gaming you might just have to go and just show them what the game looks like yeah i see you in overlord later I uh, see, Valander, that's exactly the opinion I like. Like, you're not a fan of the game, but you love the creativity and sculpting. You don't have to be a fan of every game. It's awesome. You know, we got, we're in a great gaming era where there are tons of games out there. And you don't have to like every game. I don't play D&D, honestly. I haven't bought a D&D. I haven't bought anything 5th edition. Not gonna. Not gonna uh, do it. Maybe see D&D 1 when it comes out, though there's some stuff on that. And... I'm not going to rant about that. We're going to pass. But yeah, so you need to get a feel for the players. Have your elevator pitch for either your campaign, if it's a role-playing game, or the miniature game, how it plays. Have an idea for the world, because that's going to matter to some people. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes people are like, I just want the game. Cool. You want the game? You just want the game. Cool. I'll tell you how the game is. But you got to feel that out, too. But if you're doing a role-playing game, you need to be able to explain to them what the feel of it is because it's going to matter more in that less so as you get there and even board games you need to tell them what it is i mean there's a lot of terms nowadays that maybe i don't understand all of for all these games you know if i were to describe something like diplomacy i would say it is fuck your friends and bring a bottle of advil <laughs> is it a good game i don't know i'd say no have I enjoyed it? Yeah, but I enjoyed fucking people sometimes. It's funny. The first time someone pulls their card out of the hat telling them, like, I attack such and such with support from this place. And you're like, Haha, the hell you do. <laughs> um, but you have to understand the game. Like, like, I don't get invited to play a lot of diplomacy games. It's okay with me. Because often, you know, I, I, I grew up in the gaming club era where a game would go on. If it was the only thing going on, you just jump in. You know, early on, my cousin John would drive past the mall we had our club in to pick me up and then go back to the mall so that I could come play games. And, you know, I owe him a lot for that. <laughs> but Valor <laughs> the Red says, Diplomacy is a game that may or may not have destroyed more friendships than Monopoly, but it did so more completely and thoroughly. Yes, this is true. Oh, honestly, it's a game. I don't think any of that shit personally. No. But I can see people who have, and it's funny. To the Firefly extent. game can do that, too. Yeah. Firefly, woof. That's something that I have to understand is how the game plays and how long the game can take. Don't tell them the box. Because the box says Firefly will pay in two hours. Bullshit! That is one of those games where you have to be willing to murder your parents and sell the grandkids because that's pretty much what you're doing in every game of that. <laughs> yep. Never played it. Uh, it. I'm not going to say it wasn't enjoyable, but it was fucking long. It was long enough that uh, Devil Squid's wife started calling for him uh, like, hey, where the hell are you? Uh, um, it is you... a really long game. Yes. You should know that, too. Like, honestly, you get to play Diplomacy. Diplomacy is a reasonably long game. Firefly, long, longer than it says in the box. I think Diplomacy actually has a realistic time on the box. 
Like, don't make any fucking plans for the night. <laughs> you know, advanced squad that you were talking about earlier. Like, how long is the scenario? Don't make plans. That's how long the scenario is. Don't make any plans. If you're lucky, someone will set it up so you show up and it's already set up and you can just go and maybe you get to have dinner that night. Or maybe you're ordering pizza for dinner. Or don't have Jim over to play, oh, was it uh, Wind and Sail or something? No, what was it called? Uh, wooden Ships and Iron Men. Okay. It was four guys. They they knew I was really into anything Navy. They, they said, oh, we got to have Jim over. He loves sailing ships. He used to build sailing ships when he was five years old. We got to have him over. It was four guys. They were all set to have like a day-long affair. They set everything up. It was great. It was going to be fantastic. And I turned their dance of wind and sail into a monster truck rally in about two minutes <laughs> because I said, are there any like crew ratings in this? Like these ships would just go to their death with no questions asked. They said, well, yeah. So I basically took about a third of my line, just sailed it right towards the enemy line. About 15 minutes in, all the ships were all tangled together. They were all on fire. And in about 20 minutes after that, they were all up on a sandbank. And they said, you are never allowed to play this game again. Because it was over. Like in an hour, their whole day-long affair was trashed. <laughs> because I just said, oh, I just have to sail these ships right towards these other guys, foul up their lines, and then just literally shoot into the melee. <laughs> like just <laughs> tangle up all the ships and just fire into it. Because if I lose a third of my ships, well, they don't care apparently because they have no morale factor in them. Yep. And they never should have said that. <laughs> That's what we call acceptable losses. ATLs, baby. You got to yep. have them ATLs. And yeah. yeah, that was, they're like, mm, you're never getting to play this again. <laughs> so that's actually a good point is understand how old the game is too, because older games, and I hate to be blunt about this, are not designed as well as newer games. Like innovation's a fucking thing. You know, we finish with that, you know, having playing a role playing game that's from the nineties right now. Like, not everything's written well, you, you know. Sometimes you're going to have to fucking wing it and understand that these games are not as polished as stuff nowadays. Because oh, everything yeah. comes out is, it's additive on other things. You may say, oh, that game's not important. No, that game was important in the past because it showed somebody something that they saw in their childhood and then added or didn't add to their game when they came out. Hopefully that is a little help when you guys finding people or at least having some idea how to find people for your games because we're about time for the media section. 759. All right, flip over. Ah! So I did work on the vehicle since it was big chunky pieces of resin. Yeah, you should be wearing a mask for that. I like how he completely ignored the fact they gave him a safety tip. This just in, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Guns are dead. Deal with resin. Wear a mask. You don't want resin bits in your lungs. Like, in the big chunks, it's not as bad, but yeah. you should just do it. Just be careful. Like, honestly, even just the masks we used for fucking uh, COVID, even though they're not super great, will help get a lot of those, some of those chunks out there. Better to have a full mask, a dust mask, or even a full respirator if you like being crazy like John. Uh, but uh, ball gags will work too. Um, I cannot confirm nor deny that. I don't have any experience with that, so I will take your word. <laughs> not way I want to go though. Yeah, John, John says that's concert John's. Yes, <laughs> we need that on the back of a T-shirt. <laughs> 
Our logo on the front and on the back. Do as John says, not as Gonzo does. Uh, I mean, safe. It's important to forget. To, to, for, it's important people forget that there is safety things for a reason. Correct. Yes, yeah, under the red. Yes, if you're working with resin and that's what you got handy, fucking put it on. Like I, especially as you get down to finer and finer pieces, if you need to file or sand it, put the mask on. It's the shit's real dangerous for that. Not so much in the cutting pieces. I'm extra safe with that stuff just because. And also remember, he's got dogs around, so he's going to spend a lot of time cleaning that shit up afterwards because he doesn't want the dogs getting any of that. Yeah, I mean, if, if I were sanding, 100% there would have been. But you shoot with that because you can get little chunks when you, if, you, if you're going to. Because sometimes you get the, you'll get in them, you'll get in this groove and you'll start scraping a little bit. And that's going to cause some of those problems. So just be careful. Safety first. Oh, yeah. Um, media section. I, I'm going to talk about uh, music and YouTube stuff. I did not watch a fucking thing. Um, I have uh, nothing really big. Um, about four things, but nothing huge. Nothing elaborate, type thing. Jim, what do you? How many you got today? I can just talk. Uh, Simon Whistler. Uh, it's a guy on YouTube. There has several different channels, like biographics, <laughs> geographics, war graphics. They're they're pretty fun to watch. He's just entertaining. Uh, sometimes right, his scriptwriter just. He's a machine, just... though. He's a machine. How many does he put out? He he also has mega projects. Then he has side projects. Yep. He has something like I think he has seventeen hundred different uh, YouTube channels. He's crazy. Like, I agree. I watch some of his stuff. It comes up uh, enjoyable. But uh, Gonzo, why don't you start with something uh, specific? Um. So, <clears throat> Anola Holmes two came out. Yep. Which two. is uh, was on Netflix. Anola one. Anola Holmes what? one. Was pretty decent. Is it a movie or is it a series? It's a movie. It's a movie. Okay. Uh, the first one was pretty good, pretty decent, pretty fun. Um, did a lot of the cool, you know. Henry Cavill and Sherlock Holmes, right? Correct. Okay. <clears throat> and so I was like, yeah, I'll give this one a, a shot. No big deal. Um, loaded it up. Took me two days to watch because I've been super busy with a lot of other things. Um, and it was just okay. There wasn't anything bad. I mean, it wasn't great. There wasn't, you know, you expected it, but they didn't do a lot of cool fourth wall breaking like they did in the first one. This one was just kind of like, oh, we're throwing the fourth wall breaking in there just because we did it last time type stuff. And it was just, it just didn't feel, I don't want to say honest, but that's the best way to put it. So I was like, eh, but watch it. Um, it's not bad. I mean, it's like two hours or so. So, I mean, it's, it's worth it to have it and you can go back to it without having, you know, felt like you have to rewatch part of it or, you know, re re get into it. Cause it's like this mind blowing thing. Um, but it was fun. It, it gets to the, you know, the, I, I'd say a two because it's not great, but it's better than a sharp stick in the eye type thing. <laughs> So the amount of movies that are not better than a sharp stick in the eye, I can probably count on two hands. Yeah, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna win an award. It's not gonna do anything. But it's, it's just not gonna good have fun. any buzz. Yeah, it's just okay. Cool. I watched that. It was fine. It was fine. I'm okay with it. Cool. Move on to the next one. So I give it like a, a two space RPs. Nothing bad. Fair enough. 
Well, again, my week has all been music and YouTube videos, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything. Uh, actually, uh, this is a good thing to do, and I, and I didn't think about it, is now that most of us are adults and we have actual disposable income, go back and find some of the stuff you loved as a kid. And if you want that music, buy that music or whatever. You know, all those things that you're like, I loved this album, go get it. Or if you have Spotify, make sure it's on your Spotify playlist. I know a lot of the kids nowadays like the Spotify's. Spotify's. I am a like having the music on my computer for when internet decides to go kaplooey. And I'm like, I'll just listen to my music anyway. So I don't care. Not everything. There's some stuff like I don't necessarily need. But I was listening to Michael Bradley, who did some of the music for uh, Robotech, some of the later series. And he had an album. And I, it's been on my favorites for a while to buy it but i just keep forgetting when i had the opportunity like oh i'll get that later i'll get that later and i finally said fuck it i'm gonna buy it so i bought it i bought the signed copy because i'll give the guy a couple extra bucks to sign a copy sure that's cooler um join the crap out of it you know it's kind of 80s nostalgia being some you know music from robotech and all that but uh, i'm enjoying the crap out of it uh is it the greatest no it's not the greatest honestly i mean he's a the, almost the epitome of a struggling musician type, you know. He's not like a big name or anything. It's not like his career's exploded since then, but uh, I enjoyed the crap out of that. So uh, I'm going to give his album, which is called Lonely Soldier Boy, which if you are a fan of Robotech, you'll understand which songs he's singing now. He was all the songs Lancer did from the later uh, series, The Main Invasion. Uh, I'm going to give it a solid two. It's very enjoyable. Not like anything earth shattering, but it is cool. Definitely. I thought it was worth the money, but I'm a kind of guy who buys CDs and all, so. <laughs> Call me old school, if you will. Jim? Uh, let's see. Well, uh, what was the th Oh, uh, Simon Whistler, The Virtues of War. It was a book that I had gotten uh, audio. I We were able to get me an Echo, and I finally got it set up so I could actually listen to that on the Echo. That was something I, I listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times, and it just never gets old. It, it's read very well by the reader, and it's just I, I love this book because it's, it's historical, but he really he puts a lot of interesting personality into all the characters. So instead of just kind of okay, there's Parmenio, there's Hephaestus, there's Alexander, but now he really puts some emotions behind him. It's almost like he's turned the story of Alexander into a serial, like a the old time radio serials where you can just listen to episode after episode after episode. You just put so much personality into these historical characters. Really fantastic. And it, he kind of will... It, it's funny because when they get into things like Afghanistan and stuff, it, it's it's just like anybody messing around with it today. Alexander had issues. You have issues today. And it, it's really interesting how he takes on these characters and gives them a little more than just, okay, there are these mythical character he makes them just regular people with their flaws with their strengths and weaknesses and kind of what motivates people because mm -hmm. he was all about motivation and there was just a certain point where he couldn't motivate people anymore it's it's about leadership styles right there's lead from the front there's the, the guy that gets 100 miles behind you and there's not necessarily guarantees to any particular leadership style because you, you can lead from the front, and that gathers a lot of, well, like you guys, you know, you, in business, 
right? You're, you're the team leader there, John. You have to motivate those people. You're a coach as much as a boss yep. to, to kind of, what is it that takes this person to do this job? You can't just use the same treatment on everybody. So, some people you have to kind of stroke the ego. Some people you can kind of just bash them on the head. Some people you just got to let them go. Yeah, we had this that, discussion before, before leaders versus managers. That is it. And then that was, you no one leadership style is ever going to just win out. You have to be flexible mm-hmm. yep. because you, even him, as, as much as his leadership style worked, there was a point where even the most loyal among them just said, no, we're done. Yeah. You may want to keep going. We ain't going anymore. You go by yourself. That's great. <laughs> we're We're done. We're done here. That's it. So I just that was kind of interesting because I've, that has just been a topic that I've discussed with people over time is, is leadership styles and there is no one leadership style that's that's going to fit everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's an important note and it's cool to see that in sort of ancient stuff too. Like you know, when you more think like, oh yeah, everyone would follow Alexander the end of the earth. Eh, I mean, everyone's got their limit, right? And and they did. He eventually had to form a, a unit of his own. He called them a tactoy, and they were basically just malcontents. But they weren't like the new guys. They were actually the most veteran and most trusted of soldiers because they just said, look, now you're just doing this for your own ego here. Yeah. We're done. We want to go home. We haven't been home in five years. Absolutely. So so Simon Whistler is narrating that, or did he write or – uh, this was it was an audio book, and I forget who the 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 reader is, but Stephen Pressman is the author. He's done a bunch of different okay. kind of historical works like that. I think he did one on Harry Truman as well. Oh, cool. Uh, and that was and kind of just what formulated his personality, his experiences in the First World War, and that sort of thing. Yeah, if you if you got the time, audio books are great for that, especially biographies and stuff. I find you know something that would be more dry to read, you get the right person reading it, and it becomes super interesting. And there was just the perfect voice for it, because uh, awesome. there's other books where it, the voice just uh, just wasn't doing it for me. Someone just got to do a audio book of the Shattered Sword. So, as soon as someone does that, gotta have that. <laughs> Fair enough, Gonzo. Um, so been dying to see this series, uh, the new season when it come out because during COVID. Um, it was taking quite a while for the series to come out because it was an animation and they had uh, a big old thing on the show saying, hey, we got renewed for the entire series. So I was like, woohoo, you know, get to have an ending to everything. And it's uh, Dragon Prince. Uh, Netflix series done really, really well. Uh, great diversity, great cast, great characters, everything. I enjoy the series a lot. I even bought, you know, the RPG and you know but in the models i i really enjoy this series a lot new season came out um it was very short a uh, much smaller season than normal um it was kind of disappointed in that uh the animation was a little bit off also um they're trying to clean it up and make it a little bit better but you mentioned that last week yeah but you know i i went and started watching it a little bit more and going back into it the story was really good um I, I liked it, and I was like, this is really good, but the animation, I just went back and watched it again, and I was like, then comparing it to the last season, because it, it was still stuck in my head after last week. 
And I was like, man. And it's like the facial expressions just aren't kicking off with the new animation they're doing. And it just, I didn't feel the emotion from the characters this season compared to the previous season because the animation wasn't emoting that emotion right. And so I was like, I wanted to go back and check it again just to be on the safe side. And I still felt the same way. Still a great story. Still a great, um, you know, watch. I love the story. love the world. Um, There's a reason why I bought the RPG. But I was just, man, I wish they would do, I hope they do better next season. Because we don't have, I mean, we, we... we don't have a lot, um, but I really hope it gets better. So, Fair so enough. just I, I I had to go back. Okay, I mean type thing. As somebody watched the '80s animation, like it doesn't bother me when animation gets a little sketchy. Let's be honest. Well, I mean, but you know, when you're you're used to it from watching this new stuff and you can feel it better, I just kind of like oh, something just feels off. Remember my formative animations, Robotech, where. We have all the wonderful <laughs> stuff made by the Japanese studio and the stuff that the anima- the American animation studio put in uh, to fill in. And you're like, you can tell nowadays, but yeah. So long the story is good. It's all good. Yeah. No, no change on any rating type stuff, but I was just going back for my own type thing. So John, so, uh, I've been watching a YouTube channel that does a lot of reviews of GI Joe toys and stuff, mostly clat, not, not the classified stuff, not the big stuff. The older uh, three and a, three and three quarter inch figures, three and a half inch figures, the smaller ones. Uh, called Half the Battle. The channel's Half the Battle Timmer. Timmer's the guy. <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> it is a great name. He's Belgian, speaks very good English. Like, damn, his English is better than some of the speakers here in Baltimore, which is maybe not saying much, but still. And he's got tons and tons of videos on all sorts of stuff. I just sort of found it. I was homesick one day, uh, working in between and watching stuff because I couldn't fall asleep because my body hates me sometimes. And watched a bunch of stuff on all the stuff. He did a whole big selection on Sergeant Slaughter where he goes over like the models that came out, you know, the background as a G.I. Joe, the background as a wrestler and everything. Um, really enjoy what he does with that. If you if you like that G.I. Joe stuff, he totally goes into all sorts of stuff. Opinions on the figures and tanks and all that stuff. It's just fun to watch. It's a little bit of a piece of nostalgia. Um, and also, he keeps it relatively bite-sized in the under 10 minutes generally. Which is important to me, because sometimes you just only got that kind of time before the next thing you want to do. You know? You're like, I'm going to eat this snack. I want to watch something real quick while I'm doing it. Boom! Perfect. So I like that. I'm not going to give a channel rating, but check them out if you're interested in that stuff. I think I'm the only real JJ geek here. So, but you know, <laughs> there you go. I remember as a kid. I remember that GI Joe. <laughs> yeah, naming it half the battle is definitely you know well played, sir. Well played. Oh yeah. So, uh, Jim, do you got anything else, or was it just that one? Ah, uh, that that was my main thing was the listen to the audiobook and just kind of a interesting just about leadership and motivation um talking about audiobook uh, i want to go off and do a little tangent so we got a little time um so captain mizzy was asking me about books that you know she could listen to at work because that's what she does while she's doing all of her stuff and you know i was trying to find stuff that would be good that thought she might like and i gave her uh some terry brooks recommendations uh, one of them is Magic Kingdom for Sale, okay. uh, which is, you know, it's, it's a, 
it's a comedy fantasy type thing, and it's right up her alley. She thought that was interesting. But yeah, I w- that's sort of like a little more the the adult, not so much the YA of the other stuff that came out at the same time. Correct. Uh, like and so Piers Anthony or anything. Yeah. So I don't know how she's enjoyed it. She hadn't told me, but I was. She'll tell us. Yeah, you know, she'll tell us. But I, I was looking back at it, and I was looking at all the you know the Shannara stuff because I remember reading those as a you know teenager and getting through it and now that you know there's the prequel prequels and the prequel prequel prequels type thing and i was like yeah, everything's like that gosh it's there's so many books out there but i was like i think i want to go back and listen to those again um and and, and do them in order that they're you know chronological or not written order oh wow that's sometimes crazy correct but i want to do that so that was just something i was thinking about you know I got to got to got to get enough credits to start it over from the start of the to the end of it, yeah, and because I think he's done with the chronic with uh, the Shannara I th- stuff. I think about rereading some of that. My my main thing I cut back to early fantasy was Piers Anthony, which I'm certain is not going to hold up like it did. I mean, it's it's definitely YA. It's hardcore aimed YA, and I'm not sure I would enjoy it necessarily as much as I did back then. Though, I mean, it's very punny. So, that was just something that brought up that I was, I was wanted to do that. Um, no, so, that's cool. cool. That's a good idea. I mean, I mean, if you've got the time, again, we talked about it earlier when Jim was talking about his. If you got the time for audiobooks, it's a great way to get some books in. Yeah. So, other than that, um, I did pick up um, the new God of War type thing, which I, I liked the last one. And this mm-hmm. is a complete, you know, it is the new, and it, it takes off exactly pretty much a few years after the last one, which I'm good for. I'm happy. Uh, so it's God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working through it. Um, graphics are great. They're fine. No big deal. Um, it's fun. It's interesting. The combat's gone. But I've learned that I kind of turn down the setting a little bit on the, instead of normal, just turn it down a little bit, you know, because I let you do, like, as a complete story, you'll never die type thing, but you'll have a good, fun combat system. That is a fucking great idea for games. Let's be honest. Yeah. Not everyone wants the challenge of their lifetime every time they pick up the controller. Correct. And then they got one that's like, okay, you can <laughs> still die, and it's going to be a little bit harder, but nothing. Then you got normal, and then, you, of course, you work up. And I noticed myself putting it one step lower because I'm like, I, I want to see the story. I want to have a little bit of a you know a challenge, but I don't care to have you know a Souls game challenge out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in playing Dark Souls right now. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I looked at it and was like, yeah, I'm just going to turn it down one. That way I can have a little fun and still you know do it. Because the God of Wars, the last few ones have been really good story-wise, really cool, interesting, fun things going on. So um, I've been playing that. There's very little that's been wrong. Just a couple of things that are kind of bug me that, you know, I'm going to have to come back to this zone because I don't have this ability or this item to open up this section, you know, to get this thing, which is okay. It's just, I'm like, man, when am I going to get that so I can come back and do this stuff type thing. So, um, don't know how far I'm in, but it's fine. Nothing wrong. I'm enjoying it. Liking it a lot. Awesome. Um, Another one I've been liking, especially recently, um, a YouTube channel. It's called The Operations Room, where they go over actual historical battles. Um, Interesting. 
more World War II than anything, but I think that's just because that's the most information they have. But he'll go. He's done some stuff on more modern fights, you know, the various, you know, uh, ones in the uh, Middle East in the 80s and stuff. Um, and he does a great job. A lot of them are single episodes, but the recent ones have been like uh, the previous one was Iwo Jima. Which is interesting to watch because let's be honest, we know Jim was tough. We know about the flag raising. Do we know anything else? Generally, not so much. Even in my moderate interest in World War II, I didn't know a ton about the battle. I it was tougher than they thought, and it was rough. And it was good to see a whole series on that. And then now he's doing the Battle of the Bulge. So we mostly know mostly from Easy Company's perspective from Band of Brothers. Great, amazing a, series. Yes, but there's a lot more to that. Like, he goes over the whole front, not just easy. In fact, Easy Company, as far as it goes, is a small drop in the bucket of the Battle of the Bulge. They almost and, reached uh, an ammo dump, and and they the guy literally saw the German vehicles coming down the road, and he just set fire to it, and it blew up minutes before the Germans got that fuel. If they got that fuel, Bulge turns out very differently. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, He shows a lot of that. Um, uh, he has maps on it, um, very good perspective on it. And he's actually started a second one. I forget what the name of the channel is. The Intel Report is the second channel he started where he goes over background. Like for Iwo Jima, he's like, you know, why was the the naval bombardment of Iwo Jima so ineffective? You know, what is the perspective of Iwo Jima from the Japanese soldier? What happened to the soldiers who didn't, didn't surrender until years later? As crazy as that sounds. So a lot of good stuff there. If you're looking for some good, solid 15-minute-ish content, the operations room and then the Intel report, he has a lot of good content. And I feel like he's very respectful of it and, and very much gives a not necessarily colored by any one side's view uh, of the battles. I mean, obviously, there's so much you can do because, I mean, history is written by the victors, so everything's written from you know, the Allies' perspective for World War II and all, but it is good to see that. Uh, it feels, doesn't necessarily feel, let's say, jingoistic in any ways or anything like that. He's British, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, good guy's good, bad guy's bad. It's more like this is the facts of what happened. And I like that. It fills my World War II knowledge uh, desire on a weekly basis. And he puts out one in each channel every week, at the same time, so you can get like, okay, here was the Battle of the Bulge, and then here's why the German supply lines didn't work for the Battle of the Bulge on the other channel. So it's cool to have that combination, too. So. It's always fun to see tank chats. That's uh, done by the folks at the Bovington Tank Museum. And it, it's as much for the personalities. And they'll have guests on that'll do top five tanks, bottom five. And sometimes the reason is just because... They did a 172nd scale of it as when they were a kid. And it was the lousiest tank ever. And they said, but here's why I love this thing. Because yep. when I was a kid, I loved this tank. And then you have the other ones that have the more standard perspective and such. So that's always the fun. And then, of course, when you ever have a Fletcher on with his big, giant mustache. I he, think uh, like the, even the history guy did one from there with uh, about tanks. It's yep. a lot of his normal oeuvre, but uh, I love the history guy, too. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to spend, uh, was it, Tank Day at Bovington Tank Museum? Love to. I mean, just 
interested in the history of that, you know. I'm a big, big believer in those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. I think that's so. why I also like the armchair historian because he will do the the mm-hmm. political conditions behind it. Uh, like his most recent one was why what happened with Italy right before it was invaded. You know the the, the machinations there where there were people just like, look, we're going to just join the Allies here, and there was other folks that say, no, you're not. And then the Germans came and said, well, we're just going to do this. We don't care what you guys are doing. And he, it was all about the political stuff that was going on there. And I think War Factories is another fun one because it covers what Fiat, Mitsubishi, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, mm-hmm. old, and Peugeot, how they, what they, what they did during the war. And could remember, those are just companies. They're going to do whatever it takes to fucking survive. And especially depending on, well, I think it was. Uh, one of the aircraft manufacturers, he just said, well, we're, I'm not going to let you have my company. And they said, well, then you're just not going to be alive anymore. And he had a mysterious accident suddenly. Yeah. So then the other guy says, oh, we'll be glad to make any plane designs you want. Yep. That's, I mean, it's important to see. I mean, you know, people joke about World War II, but it is still the most major event of still the last century. We're still in that point. And there's a lot that's not understood about it, you know. We're so f- fixated in calling it World War II, and technically we should just call it the World War because World War One, the ending of that, directly caused World War Two, pretty much. So, less so much two wars as one war split with a little bit of peace in between. There but should that, be, yeah, <laughs> should be lots of classes taught on the consequences of Versailles. Indeed. Bouncy, you want to finish it off? Uh, yeah, I can finish it off. Um, so, quick one. Um, ending of the Great British Breaking Challenge happened. Love it. Can't talk about it, about enough. It. I love watching baking shows like that because it's it's really wholesome. They they don't go there to bash on people or anything. They're all like really. They all want to win, and there's no this big cash prize or anything. So it's not like this big thing. It's just really nice to see people baking and doing some really cool shit. And mm-hmm. the person that won was a very, I believe, hardly believe that that person deserved it. Um, and it was just really good. But, um, so I watched, there is a show on Netflix called Inside Job. And Inside Job is a show about shadow societies controlling the world. And that's the best way to put it. It's a cartoon. So, like, there's an Illuminati and, you know, lizard people and all this other stuff. And it's a tongue-in-cheek show type thing. That the reason why Keanu Reeves doesn't look like he ever aged today is because he's technically a vampire. And, uh, you know, type thing. And it's all tongue-in-cheek stupidity. And it's an okay show just to have in the background. It's got a few funny parts. Is it great? Not really. Is it funny? Sometimes. Um... But it's like, okay, I'm eating breakfast. I can watch an episode of this, and I'll, I'll be done, and I don't have to worry about anything. We all need shows like that. The, yeah. The, you know, Bane and I tend to watch YouTube for that. But, you know, if you have a show that's that, that short, too, it's great for meal fare. Correct. You can't all watch a full episode of uh, something that's an hour long, necessarily, for a meal. You may not have that kind of time. You Correct. plans. And, you know, I watched it, you know, eating breakfast, getting ready for work, or, you know, when I'm working at home. Did you get ready for work? 
I, I take a shower, I grab my stuff, and I go out the door. That's me get ready for work. <laughs> well, I eat breakfast. I have to eat breakfast. Um, I but... breakfast at work. Oh, no. No, couldn't do that. Drink my coffee. I've got, I've got, have... I've got oatmeal. <laughs> Apparently, Gonzo's not a fan of oatmeal. No, it's a texture thing. Um, but it's an okay show. It's not bad. Um, and it's quick and easy. Um, animation is, you know, not the greatest. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be, we're just crank out as many episodes as possible. Um, but it was fun. Um, I give it, you know, like a a one and a half because there were some pretty funny scenes and pretty funny episodes, but overall just okay. Nothing huge. Nothing great. Nothing that I'm going to, you know, nothing to write home about. Pretty much. So, um, and that puts us right at your time. Yep. Yeah, not bad. Guys, we really appreciate everybody coming out. We really appreciate, especially everybody um, that's, you know, watch this and listens to us. It comes out and says a lot of cool things. And the yeah. chat was very hopping in today. I really appreciate that. That was really cool to see Absolutely. it. Um. So please take care of yourself. Please watch after each other. Please watch after yourself. Drink some water. Try to stay healthy. Yep. For more than dice, I'm Gonzo. I'm John. Still identify as Kathy. Uh, Let's go ahead and send you to the Pyro Club. No, let's go to Rainer. Rainer's raided us before. We're going to raid Rainer. You got it. He is going on. He just yeah, he started. So I got three people. Let's get. Let, let's yeah. let's, let's give him. There. Everybody hit that raid button. <laughs>